Good evening, church. Glad to see all of your faces here. Can we rise up for worship?
Thank you, Lord. Continue to worship him tonight. It's the highest earth the world. But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, the treasures that fade, but never enough. You came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Come on, lift your voice with me tonight. There's no Say, oh, this love thing is hanging, come on, better than you. There's nothing better than you. Better than you. There's nothing. Come on. Nothing is better than you. Oh, yeah. If we believe it tonight, we sing it together. Come on, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Show you my 
can do that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Because you are worthy. You for that beautiful name, amen, church, his name, we sing it, the rumors of the Son of Man, stories of a Savior, holiness with human hands, treasure for the traitor. My Savior, my refuge, my heart. 
Father, tonight as we come together, Lord, may we ring out, Lord, of the abundance of our heart, Lord, the joy that we have to be here together, and most, most, most importantly, Lord, together with you, Heavenly Father, and we thank you for this time of worship, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Celebrate the Lord tonight, church. Amen. Hey, church, while you're celebrating, will you greet one another in his name? Thank you.
My brothers and my sisters. Hey, church, we want to welcome you. Man, is it just me or is it hot in here or the spirit just moving? Amen. Hey, Amen. The Lord is on the move tonight. Amen. What an awesome time of worship. Hey, church, uh, my name is Pastor Michael Romero. I'm your worship and arts pastor here at New Beginnings Church, and we want to welcome you into the house tonight. And not just those here in the house, but also we want to welcome those watching from afar in our live stream. Amen. One of those couples, obviously, our pastor, Pastor Richard Mansfield, and, and our, our executive pastor, uh, our first lady, Pastor Cindy Mansfield, they're watching from El Paso as they uh, are out there with family, as they are preparing for a very difficult day for Pastor Cindy. So thank you, number one. They send their regards and obviously their regrets for not being able to be here. And thank you for your continuous, continuous prayers and continual prayers for the Mansfield family, uh, the Collins family, and the Sterling family that are, uh, that are continually just, they're, they're just grieving over the loss of, of Aunt Donna. And so we thank you for the prayers uh, and we want, welcome them into the house as well. But church, a couple of announcements that we want to catch you up on and just what's going on. Uh, I know we've been talking about church camp, uh, summer camp. A couple of things we want to remind you of, uh, some deadlines, churches. The 21st, that's on Sunday. A couple of things are happening this Sunday for young people. Uh, one, uh, it's graduation Sunday. And so we want to, we, can we celebrate the graduates, graduation, gradu, graduating class of 2023? It is graduation week, it seems like. Uh, this graduation ceremonies are happening. And so we congratulate those uh, that are graduating. Uh, and then on Sunday uh, is graduation Sunday. Uh, and so we invite those who are participating to make sure to invite those family members to also, not just in the stadiums, but also in the house of God to come in and uh, receive their, their gift and also be recognized among this family as well. Amen. And church, the other thing is on the 21st, when it comes to youth camp, when it comes to uh, Deadlines. We want to remind you that on the 21st, that is the deadline to have all of those fees covered. Um, and so if you have any questions regarding fees or any concerns or you might need, I say, hey, I just I need some extra time or just, hey, if there's any type of communication, please don't hesitate to reach out to either uh, Brother David uh, Sanchez uh, out in the youth department or myself. We'll be more than happy, we're more than happy, more than willing, more than anything else. To, to really help you with that because we have to give a number to our host facility out in Redoso to make sure that they have the number necessary. Because if not, if we don't hear back and we see that there are some balances left, we're going to start making refunds or canceling the registrations that have not been covered. Okay? Uh, we don't want to do that. So just communicate to us. Let us know what's going on. Uh, that way we can count the kids in. Okay? Second, church, we want to remind you that on Sunday is Baptism Sunday. And uh, if you have not yet been baptized, we, want to always, we always want to encourage you. If the Lord has been pressing on your heart and been pushing you in that direction, uh, now is a great time to do it. And that's going to be this Sunday, the 28th, um, immediately following second service, baptism service, obviously out in the mall, in our baptistry. And if, a, if you haven't been baptized, we encourage you. To do that and B, if you would love to participate and just encourage those and be there to cheer them on, that's amazing because there's nothing like seeing the body of Christ continually grow. Amen. The kingdom of God, his kingdom being furthered. 
And that's just going to be an amazing time. And then immediately following that, church, if you have not done so yet, this is an amazing um, fellowship time that we get together on Sundays in 106 in our conference room right out these doors right where I'm pointing at in 106 with the big windows is meet the pastors. And if you have not, maybe you're new to the church. Maybe maybe this is your second or third time here or, or maybe you've been here for 20 years or 10 or 15 years. And you said, hey, I really don't know what Pastor Richard or Michael or Pastor Cindy does, what they do during the day, or, you know, Brother David or Sister Jessica, what they do during the day. What does a Tuesday afternoon look like? Or what, what does their home life look like? What do they do for fun? Do they golf? Do they do, do, what do they do besides strum a guitar and watch kids play foosball? You know, it's, there's a lot behind it. And if you just want to get to know a little more in depth of what we do, we would love to meet with you and get to know you, and then you get to know us. Uh, it would be an amazing time for you to do that. If you would love to participate, we would love, hey, let me, let me give you a personal invitation. I would love to do that, would meet you out there. That's going to be Sunday immediately following that. So that's around 1230, 1240 in 106. And we do serve a light lunch, uh, and we would love to meet with you there. And if you can register, that would be amazing. The QR code to register is right behind me. And so if you don't mind that QR code, um, that way um, there's, there have been times where we don't have enough food. And you know how embarrassing that is to run out of food? And so we, we definitely don't want to do that. And so uh, we want to prepare with enough, with enough food and um, drinks and whatnot. And so church, uh, with that, I say once again, we always want to remind you of the importance of our biblical mandate of tithing and for that we say thank you so much for being so faithful in your tithe and in your in your generosity with with um, your gifting and how how much over and above you give over and above your tithe we say thank you can we celebrate what you and i are doing in this community i want to i want to just point this out when we took over when we took over this mall in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic uh, there were seven tenants in this shopping strip, and now every suite is full. We have, we have revived this entire area. There's, there are brand new bit. You've obviously seen the new chicken place out there, and there, there's just, I mean, we have, you and I have impacted this community where the Lord brings back life, Right? The Lord brings back life into this community where this, this is why pastor called it, right? It used to be the nightclub. This is why pastor says it, right? But now it's the light club, right? When this place used to be the nightclub and now it's the light club. And because we have brought life back and that's what you and I do with our tithe and our offering. So we say thank you so much for that. And if you have not had the opportunity to do that, or maybe you want to partner and you've never participated in that the ways to give are behind me on the screen or in front of you at home and you can participate that way and if also here in the room there are tithing boxes at, at the doorways in and around and envelopes outside if you like to participate that way and for that we say thank you so much for always going over and above the tithe amen thank you church do we have any first-time visitors here tonight can we show hands? Amen, my brother. Amen, amen. Amen, man. Welcome to the house of God. Welcome to New Beginning Church. Anyone else? And we, amen. Well, if you're here for the first time, we want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you wouldn't 
mind, there's a connection card that I would love to connect with you with. Uh, and you can do it this way, fellas, uh, or you can scan the QR code that's behind me. And we, we would love, love, love to connect with you and meet with you at Meet the Pastors and just get to know you guys a little bit more. So we want to welcome them. Hey, church, um, tonight I just mentioned that Pastor Richard is in El Paso with uh, our, our First Lady and our Executive Pastor, Pastor Cindy Mansfield, uh, with family. And so I, I want to introduce tonight's guest speaker. But before I do that, uh, Sister Marlene Safera, um, can we celebrate and thank her so much? Where is she at? Where's Marlene? Is she, is she in the back somewhere? Okay, here she comes. Sister Marlene, why don't you make your way up, sis? Our guest speaker for tonight. Sister Marlene, she's been with our congregation now for about a year and a half. My sis, come on up. Don't be shy. I even took a shower. <laughs> Thank don't you. Do it. Don't be shy. Uh, uh, youth, young people, that's right. I always forget about them young people. You may be dismissed. Thank you, young people. Sister Marlene Safera, uh, she's been with our congregation now for a year, about a year and a half. Um, she has been, what, a senior pastor, associate pastor, with a career with the Church of God for well over 26 years. Yes. As a senior pastor and associate pastor out in California and Wisconsin. And she came into our lives because she moved into New Mexico. She moved here to New Mexico uh, about a year and a half or two ago. Right? Year and a half, year to, and a half to live with my daughter. Wave at the nice people. <laughs> Thank you. And she came to, to move with family, and she said, hey, I want a church of God. Uh, and she found us, and we gained another minister, right? And so thank you so much, Sister Marlene. Thank you. And with that, I leave the pulpit to Sister Marlene to just bless us with the word. Thank you, and I leave it to you, my sister. God bless thank you. Thank you. Thank you, church. Welcome, Sister Marlene Safera. Well, it is my absolute joy, church, to be with you this evening. And I appreciate the invitation from Pastor Richard to speak this morning, to share the, or this is, I'm used to preaching at the morning. This is, this is evening. I might make that mistake several times. And you can correct me after the service, keep a little tally or something on how many mistakes I make. That's what my son used to do. Well, anyway, um, I appreciate Pastor Richard giving me this opportunity. You know, he and I have both gone through similar situations in the past few months. He had his surgery to replace his hip, and I had surgery to replace my knee, and we're both uh, on the mend. But we were just a few weeks ago hobbling along. I'm hobbling along in my walker, and I see him in the hallway out here hobbling along with his walker, I challenged him to a race, and uh, he turned me down. Then later, we graduated to Canes, and I challenged him to another race, and he turned me down again. I think he's afraid I was going to smoke him. <laughs> but we both praise the Lord for healing, and amen. And I want us to go before the Lord right now in prayer. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for healing us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Amen. Well, Pastor Richard has been leading us in a sermon series called What We Really Need. Not what we really want, but what we really need. So far, he has talked about our need for security, appreciation, understanding, and friendship. 
Tonight, I am going to share about our need for joy. What we really need is joy. Now, sometimes we're happy. Other times we are sad. Sometimes we might feel angry. Other times we might feel depressed. These are emotions. As part of our emotional makeup, God has given us these kinds of emotions. Joy is also an emotion, but I want you to understand that it is much more than an emotion. Joy is a condition that we can have in our lives as we rejoice in the Lord. It's not just an emotion. Happiness might depend on our circumstances, what's going on in our life, how well the day is going, how horrible it's been, what circumstances are around us. But joy can be a permanent condition for us. And the way for us to be filled with joy is simple. It is to rejoice or to be joyful in the Lord, to lift him up in praise, to exalt him, to showcase him to our friends and relatives as the God who cares and loves all of us. So it is joy that we can have and develop in our lives as we worship and rejoice. And thank you, worship team. They started off with a song of joy. Did you notice that this, this evening? Almost said good morning. <laughs> I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. It's just three chapters long, so it's kind of hard to find. It's way near the back of the Old Testament. In my Bible, it's on page 831. I don't know about your Bible, but you might find it on your phone or whatever app you have. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. These are the closing verses of this book. It says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And then there's this little phrase, the very last phrase. It says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. The last part of that verse tells us that Habakkuk is not just talking to his audience like a preacher talks. He was composing a song, and he intended it for it to be used as a worship song for the people. And he even says what kind of instruments to use. He says stringed instruments. We had some strings over here, and we had some stringed instruments going on over here. Habakkuk says, I want you to sing this song because it's a song of joy in spite of whatever circumstances I might be facing. Now, tonight, I want to go through this verse, phrase by phrase, and see, uh, let you in on what I see happening in the scripture in this time frame. And then I'm going to talk about how that applies to my life. Are you with me? Habakkuk in this book is speculating about a possible scenario for Israel. He's describing something that might happen. Like, for instance, if an invading army came swooping in and took over the country. 
or what it might look like if there was some natural disaster like a famine or an earthquake or a flood or any of the kind of things. You know, we've had a horrible earthquake in Turkey a few months ago, and you probably are still seeing on the news some of the devastation. That's what Habakkuk is imagining here. What would it look like if something bad like that happened to us? What would it look like? The total devastation, the complete failure of the economy, the entire loss of everything. In that kind of a situation, Habakkuk says, we still need to rejoice in the Lord. Doesn't depend on your circumstance. He says, we need to be joyful, full of joy in the Lord. Now, what strikes me first in these verses, the situation that is depicted here as a possibility, is the lack of food. Anybody who knows me knows that that's going to be what I am concerned about first. Where is my next meal coming from? And I am not ready yet to wait in that line over there at Raisin King. Maybe I'll get to it, but not right now. So he goes through and he talks about some types of food. Uh, Figs, he mentions figs. That was a favorite food back in the East. And this year there weren't going to be any. How many of you have a grandma that made fig jam? Anybody? Okay, I see those hands. You don't get any this time. No fig jam, no figs for eating. And then he mentions grapes. There's no grapes for eating now in his scenario. There's no grapes for drying later to use as raisins, uh, chocolate chip cookie or raisin cookie. Where's my raisin people? Okay, there we are. There's no raisins. And if there were no grapes to eat now fresh or to use as raisins, there were also no grapes to crush into wine that was the main beverage at that time. Not Pepsi, not Dr. Pepper, not Coke. It was wine. But without the grapes to crush, there wasn't going to be any wine. Now, I also noticed the failure of the olive crop, and that would have really affected the people's diets. Olives were crushed, and the, I mean, some of you can pop olives. Do you like olives on your pizza? Okay? Not those green, nasty ones, but the black ones. Yeah, those ones. But olives were crushed, and they were used to make oil that could be used in all sorts of foods, that they were creating. It could be used as a uh, cooking oil. They could uh, fry their foods in it. It could be a salad dressing. It could be uh, a sort of a margarine that they could dip their bread in. Olive oil was a big deal, but here in this scenario, they're missing. And then the text says, and the fields produce no food. Now, I can think of all kinds of food that might be growing in your vegetable gardens, those of you who have started them. You've got tomatoes, and you've got maybe some corn or broccoli or whatever kind of vegetables you like, and you're growing those, carrots and whatnot. Those are lacking. But I want to zero in on one of the main issues that would be absent in this scenario, and that's grain products. Grains of all sorts. Uh, It could be oats for oatmeal, or it could be wheat or barley, Let's just think about wheat for a moment. Without wheat, there's no bread. 
No peanut butter and jam sandwich. You already lost the fig jam. There's no bread. There's no donuts. There's no cookies. There's no biscuits and gravy. No tortillas. No birthday cake. And forget about meat altogether. It said there was no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. So if there's no sheep, that means there's no lamb chops. There's no mutton stew. There's no beef for like roast beef, steaks, ribs. How many of you have started barbecuing this season? No hamburgers. You know, there was a commercial a while ago for a hamburger place that says, got meat? No. (laughs) There was another commercial that says, got milk? No. So if there's no milk, that means there's no yogurt, there's no ice cream, and here's the worst one, no cheese. Now, next, in this scenario that Habakkuk is talking about as a possibility, I see a lack of clothing. How many of you bought a new outfit last month for Easter? Oh, come on, fess up. Uh, All right, we got a hand. (laughs) We got a hand. All right. Well, or maybe you received some new slippers last Christmas, whatever. In this scenario, the people were going to have to get by with what they already had. Because if there's no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, there wasn't going to be any wool for clothing. New clothing was not going to happen from the wool. It wasn't going to happen for tapestries. It wasn't going to happen for their carpets. It wasn't going to happen for the draperies. It wasn't going to be available for making tents. It was simply not going to exist. And if you don't have the... the cattle and the sheep, you also don't have the leather products, the shoes, the sandals, the belts, the vests, the coats, whatever it is. Now, you know the original clothing in Genesis at the beginning of human history? They took fig leaves and sewed them together. But there's a problem now with the fig trees. It says they're not budding. They can't even dress in fig leaves because it's that desperate in this situation. You are just stuck with last year's fashions. You have to mend it and make do with what you already have. Now, this may seem like a trivial little detail, but it even affected the people's personal hygiene. Remember that olive oil? That's a key ingredient in the manufacture of soap in that day. They used the olive oil for all kinds of ingredients, uh, along with other things, to make their soaps. So if cleanliness is next to godliness, these people were getting farther and farther away from God all the time because they're dirty. Wealth in general was lacking. Before this catastrophe happened, the people traded their goods with other countries. So if they had some animal products or some figs or some wine or whatever, they would trade it over here to another country for their goods, like some silk or something that they couldn't manufacture themselves. So there was this exchange of goods and consequently an exchange of money. And that's how they developed their wealth. But now, there's nothing to exchange. So even their economy, based on these trade agreements is lacking, and their wealth is diminishing. 
These people also lost the use of animal labor. Those cattle in the stalls, you know, oxen were used to pull carts to haul products to the market or to haul people wherever they were going. Oxen were uh, used for all kinds of things like treading the grain. Well, now there's no grain to tread, so I guess we don't need these oxen anyway. But it was something that affected transportation. It's like they didn't have their car or their pickup anymore because the cattle were gone. Next is an item that affected the actual atmosphere inside of their homes. Their lamps, they didn't just flip a switch and have all the lights come on. They used lamps that burned, guess what? Olive oil. So the olives were gone, which means the homes were dark places. Maybe they had a fire going, uh, just a little fire. That's all that they could have in their, in their house. So it was a dimly lit, very dark environment. Anything that had to be done had to be done in the daytime outside as much as possible. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. This is an item that I think um, deserves some attention from us. It says right here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25, During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel... From Dan to Beersheba lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. Now, Dan was a city in the north, and Beersheba was a city in the south. So basically, Habakkuk is saying that from the north to the south, this whole land of Judah and Israel lived in safety in, in, under their own vine and fig tree. This phrase, each man under his own vine and fig tree, is mentioned a number of times throughout the Old Testament. And every time it's mentioned in a positive light, everyone's happy, they're safe, they're secure, they're at peace, they're living in the presence of the Lord, and all is good. By contrast, every time the scripture talks about an invading army coming in and cutting down all the fig trees and ripping out all of the vines, that's a time where there's no safety. There is no peace. They think God has abandoned them because their vines and fig trees are in trouble. So when you've got the good vines and fig trees and they're producing, you feel God's favor and his blessing and you can be joyful. But what do you do when the vines and the fig trees are failing? And there's nothing happening there. You start feeling destitute and you may struggle with joy in your life. Habakkuk says, no, you've got to rejoice in the Lord any way. Finally, back in Habakkuk, what I surmise from verse 17 is the suspension of most of the traditional religious activities. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, it is recorded that God commanded the people to take um, oil. The priests are supposed to take oil from the people, gathering it up like tithes and offerings. And they're supposed to use that to burn a lamp in the front of the church, the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the temple. They're supposed to burn that light all night in the presence of the Lord. But now there's no oil to burn. So even the house of the Lord is dark. It's not the same anymore. 
And then also in that chapter in Deuteronomy, the priester said that they're supposed to make anointing oil for cleansing all kinds of objects and people. They needed the anointing oil and add a bunch of spices and they make this special formula and then they can sprinkle it on you and you can be clean or they can sprinkle an object and it will be clean and useful to the Lord in worship. Now they don't have that. They don't have it at all. So that can't be done. And here comes the most serious part that's related to the suspension of religious activities. All of those items that I mentioned as food items, every single one of them was also used as some sort of sacrifice that God had required. The uh, wine could be used as a drink offering. No grapes, no wine, no drink offering. Oil was mixed with, besides the spices for the anointing oil, it was mixed with flour and grain to make a, a grain offering that the Lord asked for. Figs could be used as part of that first fruit sacrifice that the Lord talked about. And then the idea of the goats or the sheep and the cattle were sacrificed, blood sacrifices, so that their sins could be given and that they could live in peace with God again. So you see, the situation was not just bad on the home front. It was also pretty grim at church, too. Now, Habakkuk pictures the entire loss of everything. He's, he's supposing what it would be like to be hungry, ill-clothed, dirty, poor, stranded, living in a dark and unsafe home and where worship and church just wasn't what it used to be. When I am reduced down to nothing, what is my response? Let's take a look again at Habakkuk's response in verse 18. He said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I really like that. <laughs> yet means even though, no matter what, besides the fact, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord anyway. Yet means that. Doesn't matter what's happening, still I am going to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to get that phrase in your head, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, because we're going to repeat that throughout this sermon. Now I want you to say it with me. Are you ready? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now on the surface, it seems like Habakkuk doesn't have much at all to rejoice about. But he goes on to mention Three very important reasons for the people to be joyful, full of joy, rejoicing in the Lord. And I think they are reasons that can apply to us as well, regardless of our circumstances. The first reason is in verse 18. He says, God is my Savior. So even when the circumstances on the outside look pretty grim, they don't seem to be going my way, I can have the assurance of salvation on the inside. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a musical called We Are So Blessed. And in that musical, one of the narrators makes this statement. Possessions can be destroyed. Cars will rust. Fortunes can be lost. 
But the true gifts of God are eternal life, knowing we are forgiven and clean before the Lord. Having these gifts, our joy can never again be the victim of our circumstances. What we really need, church, is to be full of joy in spite of our circumstances. The the Beacon Bible Commentary puts it this way. This is a but-if-not religion that does not depend on prosperity or well-being to keep its faith in God or its determination to be faithful to him. Like the three Hebrew princes who recognized the contingency of deliverance, Habakkuk intends to remain true despite the external developments. Three Hebrew princes. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is about some Israelites who had been captured by a foreign king and deported to that foreign king's country. And now these three princes were facing a horrible choice to either worship an idol or be killed. So this is what they say. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They affirmed, God is my savior. And he's able to remove me from this pain in my life. He's able to change it all. But even if he does not, even if he does not, they said, we're going to trust him anyway. We're going to keep our trust in him. And we're going to keep rejoicing in him. That is how we have joy in our lives. Regardless of the flames... And everything else that was licking up around them in that scenario, they said, God is my savior. Habakkuk says that's reason to rejoice. It's reason to be full of joy in the Lord. So I want you to say it with me again one more time. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. God is my savior. And then the second reason Habakkuk gives us to rejoice in the Lord is found in verse 13. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Now that very word sovereign says that God has all the authority, he has all of the power, he is able, he's in complete control. Regardless of the fact that an enemy has invaded and wreaked havoc in my life, God remains in control, and I can rejoice in that. It is a reason to be full of joy, and that's not all. You see, when all of my support and everything I have is stripped away, 
He is still my strength. That's what Habakkuk says. God is my strength. When everything else is gone, when my strength is gone, I have the roots of joy in God and his strength. It's not in what God has given me. I may, I may take pleasure in what he has given me and that may make me happy, but my source of joy is rooted in God himself, not just what he gives to me. And that is a reason to rejoice. He is my strength. He becomes for me what I cannot be for myself. The Lord is my strength, and I can be full of joy about that. I can rejoice in the Lord. So say it with me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He is my strength. Habakkuk's third reason for rejoicing in the Lord is that we have ultimate victory. You won't see that phrase in the scripture, so let me describe it to you, what I'm, what I'm thinking about here. We find it really in the second part of verse 19, when he says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer, he enables me to go on the heights. You see, when a deer or a gazelle or even a mountain goat is being attacked and chased around by a wolf or a mountain lion or some other form of enemy, they head up onto the heights. God has given them that speed and that sure-footedness that they can just maneuver over that rocky terrain and find a place of safety. They can outmaneuver and outrun these enemies until they reach a place of safety up high on the rocks. And it says here in Habakkuk that God is making me like a deer. He's going to enable me to go up on the heights. So when we're being chased around by all sorts of enemies, anybody have an enemy? Could be a coworker. Might not be a person at all. It might be an enemy within yourself. Various kinds of sin or addiction that are plaguing your life. When you're being chased around in all that kind of trouble, the scripture tells us that he will make us, help us to go up and stand on the rock. That is the place, the rock of Jesus Christ, where we have victory over our enemies. Rejoicing in the Lord anyway is a statement of faith in the midst of disaster. It's a faith that knows how to live in the meantime until he does rescue me. Or in the meantime, until he calls me to my home, my place of eternal victory in heaven. Amen? So say it with me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He gives me victory. Now, besides these three specific reasons to rejoice in the Lord, I think Habakkuk had learned a very important lesson, a secret maybe, about offerings and sacrifices. Remember that the elements for the traditional religious offerings and sacrifices were gone? They weren't possible to bring before the Lord. So how could I get the cleansing, the atonement, the forgiveness I needed if I don't have an offering to bring to him? Well, <laughs> when I can't bring an offering of material goods 
or money. I can bring the kind of offering and sacrifice that Scripture really tells us that God desires. So throughout the Scripture, throughout the Bible, in Psalms, Proverbs, Hosea, Matthew, Mark, Philippians, Hebrews, God describes the kind of sacrifice that he really wants from us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these phrases to you directly from those scriptures, okay? He wants us to share. To do what is good, right, and just. To be merciful. Pastor Richard's been preaching on Sundays for several weeks about merciful. Being merciful. Can, can you learn to do that? That's the sacrifice God really wants. To have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. To love God with our whole being and to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and then this last one, to offer a sacrifice of praise. That's the rejoicing in the Lord that as we rejoice in the Lord, his joy fills us up and sustains us even if we're not happy. We can do what God really requires even when we cannot bring the kind of offerings we'd like to bring. We can bring that sacrifice of praise. Say it with me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Well, that's what I see in the scripture itself. Now, I want to take a few minutes. How many minutes do I have? Boy. You know, when they asked me to preach, they didn't give me a time frame. (laughs) I get here and Michael says, you better watch it. And then they started the clock on me while Michael was still talking. That's not fair. Well, I want to take a few moments to tell you what it worked out in my life. And imagine my life. Here's this timeline of my life. I'm going to take a slice out of 1996. And I'm going to spread it open for you to understand what I was going through at a personal time in my life when I felt pretty destitute. I was living in California with my husband and kids, and my husband had been out of work at that point for about four months. So you can imagine that money was tight. Money for food, money for clothes, money for activities, money for rent, money for tithe. A lot of that was pretty tight. And I was, I was dealing kind of okay with that crunch of funds, but I hadn't been home to visit my family in the state of Washington for three years. And I was, I was missing them so bad. I was feeling homesick. Anybody else ever just want to go home? That's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to go home. And now we had no money, so I couldn't go home. And, and the family was planning this big reunion. All the relatives were coming. It was going to be this whole big thing that summer. And now I wouldn't be able to afford that trip. And it seemed pretty clear that I wasn't going to be able to afford to go back to college. I was in college doing my ministerial training, and I wasn't going to be able to afford to go back to college. That was a big blow. God called me to ministry, and I was in training, and now how can I afford this training? And then we had trouble with our van needing a lot of repairs. 
And then there was this whole ugly situation at the church. Maybe you've never experienced that, but I have. It was an ugly situation. The congregation had sold their building, and they had ousted a very fraudulent pastor. We also lost our youth minister at that time. And this situation split the church. So it had far-reaching consequences for every single family in the church. No matter which side of the fence you were on. And I was really feeling the burden of all of this as I was beginning my ministry and starting to do some of my associate pastor work. And, but there again, I was handling it kind of okay until our landlord added the final insult to the injuries. We had lived in this particular rental house for uh, quite a number of years, and there'd been incidents over and over and over with a man that I'll just call my slumlord. He was, he was horrible. He had done awful things to me. Well, anyway, on this particular morning in July, I took my son to his swimming lesson. We'd already paid for that, so. <laughs> took him. It took 10 minutes to drive to the swimming pool. It was a 30-minute lesson, and it took me 10 minutes to drive home. So those of you who do math, how long was that? 30 plus 10 plus 10, 50 minutes. When I came back around the corner into my neighborhood, the sight that greeted me made me literally sick. Because while I had been gone for those 50 minutes, the landlord's hired crew had swooped in and just mutilated this beautiful shade tree that we had in the front yard. It was the only redeeming feature in that entire property. It was this big, beautiful shade tree, and he hadn't cut it down. Like, here's the tree. He hadn't cut it down, but he had cut it back so severely that there were only two or three scraggly branches left up here at all, maybe a hundred leaves on the entire tree. Now, who in the world cuts down a beautiful shade tree in hundred-degree Southern California July weather? They're nuts. And I was hurt, and I was angry, and we were all just sick by all of this. And it was just like, no job, no money, no vacation, no college, no church, and now no tree. I was so upset. And wouldn't you know it, that night is the deaf Bible study at our church. Now, I'm bilingual. I was bilingual. And I worked back and forth between the English-speaking congregation and the deaf congregation that used American Sign Language. So I could visit deaf people or English people in the hospital or in their homes. I could preach in sign language or in English, whatever. I was back and forth. But this particular night was deaf Bible study, and I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. You know why? Because they always sing two really dumb songs. They don't have Michael. So the first song is called Trees of the Field, which is actually taken from Scripture. It's taken from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12. I'm going to have to demonstrate to you the way the deaf do it. It says, we shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth in singing. There will be shouts of joy. And all the trees of the field will clap, will clap their hands. Now, hold your hand up and make a tree. 
Some of you have some wimpy looking trees there. Some of you have nice, strong, beautiful, healthy looking trees. Well, now you can understand why I didn't feel like going and singing this song. You know why? Because my tree didn't have any hands to clap. And I didn't feel like rejoicing either. Now, you can kind of see the humor in that first song, but not the second. The second one is just wrong. The second one says, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I will rejoice for I've made my choice to rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't depend on the strength of my arm or my voice. It doesn't depend on the circumstance. It doesn't depend on the way I feel. I've made up my mind and I will rejoice. Now, that's what it says in English, but the deaf people, uh, you know, they don't like the word circumstance. I mean, this is just a stupid sign. What does circumstance mean? Until you name a circumstance. So they would stand around in a circle in somebody's living room for this Bible study, and they would take turns describing a circumstance on a range between, okay, this is, this is really a strong, hard circumstance, or this is fairly trivial. So they'd go around the room and they'd say, doesn't matter that my car broke down. Doesn't matter that my kid pierced his tongue. Doesn't matter that I'm sick. Doesn't matter the church has no pastor. Doesn't matter my grandma just died. I've made up my mind, and I will rejoice. You see what's happening here? That song became a modern-day version of Habakkuk's song. Now, both of those two songs seem so sweet when everything around me is happy and pleasant and going well. But that night, I didn't want to sing those songs. And I didn't want to live them either. Well, my tree put me to shame. Several weeks went by, and then one day I glanced out the window and I noticed that the tree looked kind of fuzzy. Sort of a green fuzz. A couple days later, it looked fuzzier, and I went out to examine it. And it's like, okay, my tree didn't have any hands to clap, but it was growing these little fingernails all over it. It was trying to perk up and come back to life. It was trying to say, yet I will rejoice. I want you to understand that these verses in Habakkuk are not just about some dusty little village in Israel many centuries ago. They are about now. They are about me. They are about us together. And I can paraphrase them and make them mine depending on my personal circumstances at the moment. At that time, my circumstance was though my tree is ruined and the van will not run, though my husband has no job and I can't pay for college, though there's no pastor in the pulpit and no leader for the youth, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He helps me raise above it all and gives me ultimate victory. Say it with me again. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now the worship team is going to come on up. And while they're coming, I want to give you a brief instruction here. Tonight, 
I want you, right where you are, to take a moment to paraphrase verse 17 for yourself. You've heard my paraphrase, but what would you paraphrase it? Everyone's version will be different in this whole room. Perhaps someone over here on my left is, is thinking, though I have no spouse beside me in the chair. Either they've lost them through death or divorce, whatever. Someone over on this side might be thinking, though my son is in prison. Someone over here might be thinking, though I am facing surgery. Someone over here might be thinking, though I am about to get evicted from my apartment. You paraphrase for what's going on in your life right now. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. Maybe you have a scrap of paper in your purse. Maybe you have a note app on your phone. I want to give you a minute to paraphrase what it looks like for you. You start with the phrase, though, and then you list what's going on in your life. Worship team, come on in. Here's a quotation from the interpretation commentary. It says, can we affirm Habakkuk's faith and know with certain joy that God is working his purpose out and will bring it to completion? Can we, in the midst of our evil world or on a bed of pain, can we, when enemies confront us or friends and family prove untrue, can we, when facing death or the powers of hell unloosed, can we nevertheless join in Habakkuk's song? Regardless of what you've struggled with so far in 2023 and regardless of what you may yet face in the remainder of this year, individually or as a church, will you join Habakkuk's song of rejoicing? As you rejoice in the Lord, will you realize how your life can become full of joy in spite of your circumstances? Say it with me one more time. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Some of you may not understand how to be joyful in the Lord because you don't know the Lord. Tonight's your opportunity to come and pray. There will be people to pray with you. If you've never yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never yet asked him to forgive your sins because he paid the price on the cross for your sins, tonight's the night to come and say, I want joy in the Lord. I want peace. I want forgiveness. You come while we sing. Some of you may know God the Father, and you may know God the Son, but you don't yet know God the Holy Spirit. You have not been filled with the joy that he can bring as he leads and guides your life in a godly manner. As we sing, 
You come and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with joy. Some of you may just have some circumstances in your life you'd like to come and share, pour out before the Lord privately by yourself or grab the hand of someone to come with you and tell them what's going on in your circumstances and ask them to pray for you to overcome those circumstances and be blessed with God's joy. These altars are open. As the worship team leads us, you come and pray. You're my author, my maker, my ransom, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place. You're my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. You're my hope. In the shadows, my shred in the battle, my anchor for all my days. And you stand by my side, and you stood in my place, Jesus, no Will you celebrate the Lord tonight? Will you give him thanks for his word? Amen. Yeah. Thank you to our speaker tonight, our sister Marlene Safara, for such an anointed word on how to lead us into receiving that joy. Amen. Thank you, my sis. Thank you so much for that beautiful word. Amen. We receive it in the name of Jesus. Hey, church, uh, before we leave tonight, before we begin to walk out, we want to remind you just a couple things of those announcements about uh, about Sunday baptism. So if the Lord is leading you tonight to make that next step of faith and making going public tonight with your baptism and your faith, amen, we say, come on, sign up. Bless you, church. We can't wait to see you on Sunday. Bless you. You dismiss the name of the Lord. You're my